Praise ye the Lord, sing unto the Lord a new song, and his praise to the congregation of saints. For the Lord taketh pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. Let's bow our hearts and heads in sound of preparation for worship. Let us stand and let us sing Psalm 67a, 67a. We have the tithes and offerings. Let us pray. We gather again, God, thankful for the safe travel this evening and again the ability, even though things changed in the last minute, to still meet, meet indoors, uh, to meet in a uh, relatively spacious room for us, God, and to hear your word. We pray, God, that your spirit would be with us in special measure as you promised in your word, Lord, as we gather together to praise your name, to bring our prayers before you as God's people, to hear your word, Lord, and to be encouraged and strengthened with the gospel promises and the truth of your word. 
We pray and ask God in particular, Lord Jesus, we pray as, again, we ask God for the removal of COVID from this land, removal from the manipulation of COVID upon this land, uh, return to normalcy and freedom, Lord, and protection, God. We ask, Lord, certainly the health for those who are indeed high risk, and they're high risk for other ailments as well, Lord, that uh, often media and society don't really care about because, well, they're old or they're sickly. It doesn't seem to bother them. Our God and Savior, we ask in particular, Lord, that any court cases uh, being dealt with in these matters, Lord, especially for the sake of the church, would be <coughs> resolved, again, for the good of the church and your people, in particular God above, and certainly always with proper um, truth and equity, we pray. And we ask God... Again, for the difficult times we find ourselves in with employment, the economy had other issues even before COVID, God, and it's much worse now with small businesses and employments and employees, God, and people not working, or, or they are full-time before, and now they're part-time, or whatever the case may be, God, it's very hard, and uh, we pray in particular, Lord, for them, even though... God, uh, they are not Christians. We don't desire the worst for them, but the best ultimately for their salvation, repentance, God. And we pray in particular for those Christians who have become unemployed or their small businesses are going under and the more debt they're incurring upon themselves, God. And it seems to be nary a hand to lift it to help them, Lord, against forces that are arrayed against them. We ask, God, that you would be with them and help them in a special manner as you have your special providence for your people, Lord God above. We pray, God, that we as a church uh, would be cognizant of these issues, uh, of the difficulties uh, upon our own members, Lord, and making good money, especially for the younger generation, God, as we see um, over the last several decades, the economy has actually not gotten better overall. Uh, The average income and the like, Lord, has not caught up with inflation and expenses such as health insurance and housing and everything else across the nation, God. And so it is harder, and that's why some people are leaving. They want to leave Denver metro area, for example, or other cities. We pray again, God, that we would come before you and pray for our brothers and sisters dealing with these hard struggles and these difficult times in their life, Lord, and that we as churches would be understanding and help them come alongside and pray for them. We pray for continued peace and prosperity across this nation, God. Again, ultimately for your glory and secondarily, Lord, for the good of your church. Nevertheless, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray, Lord, to continue to protect your Christian people, protect your people across this nation, protect us from various ailments, Lord, that we can avoid if we can, God, and certainly protect us from persecution and difficulty. And we pray, Lord, as we are ending this, your Lord's day. We pray and ask that your spirit would be with us, that we would have a productive week, that we would, Lord, go to our vocations and callings in life throughout the week that we have, even today. We have our callings and vocations in life, Lord, as a mother, as a father, as a husband, as a wife, as a child, as a member of the church, as a member of society, as a worker, as an engineer, whatever our jobs are, God, may we do it all unto your glory and for the good of your church. We ask, God, that we would grow in patience, we would grow in the fruits of the Spirit and love for one another, God, and we would continue to be rejuvenated on this your day for this week ahead, Lord, to look forward uh, with a positive outlook, knowing that you are with us, God, no matter what may be happening this week. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Let us turn to Acts 28. Remember, the pastor messed up. Put the wrong sermons on the wrong AM, PM. The songs are appropriate, so it's not my wife, it's me. Acts 28, 28 through 31. Acts 28, 28 through 31. You never thought I was going to finish Acts, did you? You should have seen when I went through Deuteronomy. Acts 
Let us listen attentively to the word of God. Therefore, let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it. When he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. Let us pray. With these words, God, we are reminded of the call of the Great Commission given to Paul, and not only to Paul, Lord, to all the apostles, and not only all the apostles, to the pastors and the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ, and not to them, God, but to all of us in the broadest sense in which we are able, Lord, to do what we can to promulgate and support the Great Commission. So we see, Lord, and we ask that you would open our hearts to see and understand the Great Commission, Paul's exercise of the Great Commission, and what we can do in your kingdom as well. In your name alone we pray. Amen. Prior, Paul, as you recall, dealt with many difficulties in his preaching. His job of preaching did not preclude warnings and judgments, but exhortations and the like were also involved in what he gave to his audience, and his audience was whom? Audience was anyone who would listen to him. Nevertheless, his heart was especially for his own people, wasn't it? For my brothers, he said. Of the flesh, to be sure, but brothers nevertheless. And in Acts, and prior to this occasion here that we read, he went to the Jews of various and sundry cities over and over again, And people were converted, Jews believed, sure, but there was also much rejection and denial. The rejection was so thorough that Paul gave up on them one time. We read in Acts 18.4, as you recall, and he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath, lots of patience, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus, this man in the flesh, is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one prophesied of old. The Jews didn't believe it. But when they opposed him and blasphemed, the Jews blasphemed God. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. So often Paul is described as the... Apostle of the Gentiles. So the Great Commission, although given to the church, it still looks different for those who exercise the ministry given to them. It does look a little different, depending on who is exercising the Great Commission and the like that God has given them, and the power and the authority that he has given the church. Even among pastors, there's not an equal distribution of responsibilities towards the Great Commission. Some pastors are gifted to go out and preach in a strange land and strange places with strange foods and strange customs. Other pastors are gifted to teach and instruct in local churches in the local areas. In both cases, the Great Commission is being followed. That's why I have the title here of Paul's Great Commission, not as though he owned it, but that he exercised it differently. His emphasis was mostly the Jews. Even here at the end of his ministry, from what we know, because we don't know the rest of Paul's life, other than he's with the Lord now, he goes back to the Jews. He said in Acts chapter 18, earlier, I'm done with you. 
is you're frustrating me, you're going nowhere, you're blaspheming God because you hate this gospel message so much, I'm going to the Gentiles. And yet clearly he didn't stick with only the Gentiles. He here at the end of Acts 28 in Rome calls for the synagogue leaders, calls for the leaders of the Jews in Rome. He wants to plead with them. He wants to give them the gospel message. And instead of all of them rejoicing, yes, the Messiah is here, the one we've always been waiting for, we've been excited about, we've had hundreds of years of prophecies. What happens to them? And when he had said these words, the Jews departed and had a great dispute among themselves. There wasn't a mass conversion. There was not a mass conversion. There was a great dispute. Paul's like, okay, I'm going, to go, I'm going back. To, it's like I said, I'm going to the Gentiles. They will hear me. And so that's Paul's special direction and special calling of the Great Commission that essentially has. We know the Great Commission itself tells the church to go out and make disciples of the nation. It also tells the church to teach them all that Christ has taught them. And so here we have Paul exercising the Great Commission as he is able to those who are dear to him and near to him, his own people, but then ultimately to anybody who will listen. No one forbidding him, verse 31. Now, there was a great commission before there was a great commission. We don't think of it that way. The great commission of the Old Testament, to be a holy people. Exodus 19.5, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all. All people, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words with the Lord you shall speak to the children of Israel. Israel, which was the culmination of the Old Testament church, because before then it was a smaller group of the tribe of Abraham, which now had grown into an entire nation at this time of Exodus, encapsulated the church of the Old Testament. That is, those who are put under the authority of God and his covenant and look forward to the Messiah to come and their children. Israel was especially set aside, as we know, before a dark and pagan world to stand out, to be his people. <clears throat> More than a holy family like Abraham's family and now an entire nation, a holy nation, a unique nation, a unique expression of the kingdom of God among men, but a true expression nevertheless. It's not so unique that we can't go to the Old Testament and see a reflection of the holiness we are called upon as a New Testament expression of the church. It's not that unique, for sure. But it is unique, that is, historically in the sense that God had done a number of great miraculous things for them, and he had called them in a unique way to be one nation. Today we are many nations. Christians are across all parts of the world, and we have a similar calling and commission of holiness. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, sanctified, set apart before God. That's the idea of a priest, to be before him, to lift praises and offerings and worship before him, and to be a holy nation, those who follow his word and thought, word, and in deed. And everyone and everything was Jewish, of course, in the Old Testament. That's one of the uniquenesses of the time. Not that they had to be holy, not that they had to follow God and believe in Jesus to come, but they had other things that we don't have to follow today, praise be to God. In other words, if you wanted to be saved in the Old Testament, 
Like today, if you want to be saved, you have to join God's people. Back then, they had to join God's people. And the God's people had the expression of Jewishness. Everything and everyone was Jewish. The convert must become Jewish. Not biologically, although many of them were, but morally, they accepted the covenant of Jehovah. Caleb is an example. If you remember, his name means dog. I don't think that's a common Hebrew name. (laughs) So uh, as a Gentile, he became one of them, Rahab and others, who joined the people of God. In the time of Christ, they had those who were God-fearers and eventually became even members. It was hard and difficult, to be sure, but they they had the ability and opportunity to be with God's people and become part of God's people, even though they weren't born Jewish. But they still had to what? Dress like the Jews, act like a Jew, eat the foods. That is the Old Testament Jewishness, not the Pharisaical additions, obviously, although that happened eventually. They ate different things. They dressed differently. Social differences were commanded, so they stood out from the pagan practices around them. Don't forget, the pagans also offered sacrifices. They also had priests. They also had temples. Right? And God's going to make sure they stick out. And so they did stand out on purpose. And it was also a test to show their commitment to God. Will you follow me, although you stand out among the pagan nations? This is all done away with. That commission, however, is not done away with. That's another sermon for another day, the call of holiness, of separate, to be separate from the world. And then we have a New Testament commission. God came and fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies and promises. Jesus Christ, as the second member of the Trinity, fulfilled all these things. And he came on earth and brought a a radical transformation, a new era, a new age, a new testament. And that's what we are in today, this great difference between the Old and New Testament. We don't have to be Jewish, but we still have to be holy. We still have to follow Jesus. We still have to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Oh, that's in Deuteronomy, isn't it? All that's the same, but there is still another difference. And that other difference is the Great Commission, given to the the church as manifested in this day and age, the New Testament era, not given to them of old. The Great Commission is to go. Go, therefore, and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them all that I have taught you to observe. That is the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 and following. Matthew 28, 18 and following. The end of the Gospel of Matthew, he finishes it there, and it fits so well with Acts, where you have the Great Commission in action. Because you don't see what's going on at the end of Matthew. It's just Christ comes, he raised from the dead, they're surprised, they're amazed, and he gives them the Great Commission that is the kickoff of the New Testament era of God's people. And we are given now a new responsibility, in addition to the old responsibility of holiness, is to call the rest of the world to that holiness in the way the prophets of old did not. And Jesus came, Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus speaks as the God-man with a unique mission. Obviously, as God, he already has all authority. That's not what he's saying. Oh, I didn't have authority before, now I do. It's as the God-man, the one who's anointed and has this unique position in God's kingdom. He's telling the church that he is changing their mandate here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth, and because I have that authority, I give you this 
new commission, this new job that only the head of God's people can give God's people. In other words, there's more evidence he's not merely a man, but he's also God. <clears throat> and it's the great change we have between the Testaments, brother, brothers and sisters, and the big debate that we have in Acts between the Jews who will not believe and accept this great commission and Jesus Christ who gives the great commission and those who do. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Christ continues after explaining to them the authority he has to give them this commission, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. Acts is the story of the unfolding of the Great Commission in the early church. And it's fitting that it ends with a summary of the Great Commission. (laughs) Verse 30 and 31. Then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him. Where? In Rome. That's the amazing thing. He's not in Israel, as they were for hundreds and hundreds of years, from Moses to the time of David, about 900 to the 300s. They were in one land. That was it. And people came to them. Great. They would instruct them and teach them to become good Jews. But they never went out. It was very rare. Remember Jonah? It's like, why am I leaving? Why am I leaving these people going to these Gentiles? No, this is a big change. Just the verse 30 alone, Paul dwells two whole years in Rome and received all who came to him preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. What is that? But he's fulfilling the Great Commission. In his own way, to be sure, but he's fulfilling it nevertheless. Paul's great commission is what we read here. Paul's ministry, again, as I mentioned at the beginning, mostly to the Jews. He took every effort to attend the Jewish synagogues, as you remember, after his conversion. Over and over again in those chapters, boom, one after the other, after the other, he is going to the synagogues, he's talking to the Jews, he's, he's debating with the Jews, he's teaching them of Jesus and the kingdom and of judgment to come. Some of his sermons end on a, or instructions or sermons, if you want to call them, end on a very negative note. Even when frustrated, he still returns to the Jews, as you recall in Acts 18, and they opposed him and blasphemed him. He shook his garments and said, Your blood be upon your own heads. You are guilty for rejecting the gospel. I am clean. I'm innocent. I've done my job. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And yet here we are at the end of Acts, and he's back to the Jews again. He can't leave them as much as people may call him the apostle of the Gentiles. He seems to always be going back to the Jews. He wants to have his people saved. Paul, of course, as we know, and the backstory behind this, was especially suited to be an apostle to the Jews, wasn't he? He's a blood relation, he's a Jew. A Jew of the Jews, as he says in Galatians. He went to their schools. He knew their language and culture and rules. And how they think. Paul was especially gifted in his exercise of the Great Commission. Paul's Great Commission was for the longest time, especially for the Jews. And we read, for example, on the other hand, Timothy who doesn't have Paul's calling as an apostle, he's one of the first pastors we have. Someone boring, someone not very interesting, no miracles, no great things written about him. He just some letters written by Paul, his teacher, to this pastor, teaching him how to be a better pastor, teaching him how to shepherd God's flock. And Timothy 
His fulfilling of the Great Commission is different than Paul's. Timothy's Great Commission was mostly local. The letters that were given to Timothy paint a local picture of established churches and ministers and ministries who deal with local church issues. In 1 Timothy 3.1, for example, we have the qualification of the minister. What's interesting in that qualification is not, oh, he is one who goes out as an evangelist and preaches to the whole world. Goes to Africa, goes to Asia. It's not in that list, is it? Isn't that interesting? Not as though that's not a good thing. That's what an evangelist does. That's what God has especially gifted those pastors to do. But in general, a bishop or a pastor is supposed to be apt or able to teach. Right? So whether he is an evangelist or he's just a local pastor, the thing they have in common and the fulfilling of the Great Commission is teaching and instruction and preaching. It does not make Timothy less of a pastor than Paul, just that he exercises his gifts differently to a different audience, but still fulfilling of the Great Commission. So not, not only do you have Paul's Great Commission, you have Timothy's Great Commission, and all the different pastors across the thousand years since the time of Christ, the 2,000 years, different focuses and different abilities within the broader call of the Great Commission given to the church. That's the point. Thirdly, our Great Commission. Again, in Matthew 28, 19, we read, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Amen. You don't need Greek to see the verbs. The verbs are here. Go and make disciples, baptizing and teaching. In English, you can see that baptizing and teaching have the I-N-G ending, right? You may not remember what that is in English, but you know it means something a little different than baptized with an E-D or baptized is or something like that. In other words, there's a main verb here and all the other verbs hang off that main verb, that main action of this long sentence. And that main action of the long sentence is make disciples. Make the, that's the purpose. Of it. This, is, this is what the church is supposed to do, make disciples. How are you going to have and make disciples? Christ tells us. He says, well, you have to go. You have to go and make disciples, or going, actually. It's more like going in English, that particular verb, actually. It's an imperative, to be sure, uh, but it's more than that. Being sent out by the authority and power of Jesus Christ. All power is given to me in heaven and earth, and I'm telling you, you are called to go or going out, as I call you, to go and find people so that you can make disciples. That can be local or not local or foreign or what we call today missionaries or evangelists. Right? Baptizing, bringing them into the discipleship relationship of the covenant, you have to go to make disciples, and when you are making disciples, it also includes baptizing them, bringing them under the authority and power of Jesus Christ in his church. And then teaching, teaching them about discipleship, about the kingdom of God, about whatsoever I have told you, Jesus says in the Great Commission. The purpose of the church is to make disciples. The purpose of the church is not to make itself big, it's not to do whatever it can 
to make itself uh, available to the world in a very open, openly and friendly place so that people left, let down their guards and all of a sudden get caught off guard and become Christians. The purpose of the Great Commission, which is the purpose of the church, is to make disciples. And three of the ways, although not the only ways, is to go out, baptize, and teach them. That's how you make disciples. That's what Paul did. He kept going out, didn't he? Again, his special way of going out was to go out to foreign places and faraway places. Others, like Timothy, he goes out locally and stays local and goes out to whom will listen to him there locally, especially in the church. And he makes disciples his way. Paul makes disciples another way. We make disciples, they must do. And the OPC, uh, the going, is uh, mostly done by missionaries and evangelists in the sense of, if we think of going as only missionary work, but it's not. It's local people. They just don't have to be Jews. Go find the Gentiles and invite them to church. Baptizing, of course. All ministers have the authority to baptize, whether evangelists or not. And then teaching all things that I have commanded you. Which is pretty broad, isn't it? Christ said a lot of things in the gospel. And he says more to the apostles. You have a ministry, although you're not a pastor. Vocational work in God's kingdom. Whatever you are, a father, a daughter, a mechanic, or a mayor. You do all things for God's glory. You follow his law. You depend upon his grace. You support the ministry as you are able. You talk about Jesus, as 1 Peter 3.15 tells us, but sanctify the Lord in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. What's interesting about 1 Peter 3.15 is its stance. It's not go out and find people and bring them to church, although you can do that. But that's not your unique calling. That's the unique calling of evangelists and pastors and teachers and leaders. But to always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks of you a reason or a defense. So we get the word apologia. For the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. At the very least, that's what you must do and prepare yourself to do. That's why I teach you Bible studies. That's why I've gone over apologetics and uh, our ruling elders have done what they can in Sunday schools and like to equip you, to prepare you, to give an answer to the hope that is within you when people ask you questions. That's what you can do to fulfill the Great Commission, even though you're not a pastor. I know the other direct ways, of course, I didn't even mention them here that you know of, obviously, money, give the church money. Um, but these are things that require a little more work. Money, in many, one sense, it's kind of easy to do. But read the Bible, pray, ask questions. You don't always have the answers. Write down, I've mentioned this before, you got your Bible, you got all that white space back here. Break it down. Salvation, Bible, God, Christ, and put all the verses that you find very helpful that maybe answer some questions to somebody you're talking to. Don't feel bad that you're not a minister. Do you have a ministry nevertheless? You have a service. You have a commission of sorts in living in God's kingdom, in doing your calling of vocational life, and being able to give an answer to the hope that is within you. Just point to the Bible, read a passage. You don't have to be fancy about it. You support the Great Commission by supporting faithful churches as well. You pray for Christians and churches to fulfill the Great Commissions, the Great Commission of Jesus Christ. 
pray for that, work to that end, and encourage that among other Christians, because they can be discouraged at times, finding a good church to support. They should not give up. And we should always do what we can to point to Jesus and to encourage people to support churches and Christians to fulfill the Great Commission as they can, however they are gifted. To his glory alone, let's pray. Amen. Lord God above, we thank you for this word. We thank you for here at the end. We see Paul exercising the Great Commission, the calling, the beginning of the church and the end of the church, God, to glorify you and enjoy you forever, and not in the abstract, but in the concrete reality of following the Great Commission. That's how we glorify God. And we all exercise that Great Commission, more or less indirectly or directly, how you've gifted us. We're not all ministers, Lord. We should not feel inferior to ministers. In many ways, in this day and age, people have better advantage than a minister because people are shut down and don't think much about ministers anymore. Lord God, whatever the case may be, help us, Lord, whether father, daughter, mechanic, or mayor, to do all things for your glory and to help support the great commission of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand and let us sing. 420. 420. you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.